I've always thought there were, broadly speaking, two general directions we could take in life. One is, again, broadly speaking, the path of inner peace. So the Buddhist idea of losing our attachments, being still, calm, without suffering. The other, let's call it the path of passion. So deep and intense engagement with things you love. Even if it leads to a little bit of suffering, who cares? Life is about passion and attaining the highest highs. And for a long time, I was confused about this dichotomy. I thought there was a contradiction there and I couldn't resolve it. And over the years, I found all kinds of clues and ideas and research bits that kind of helped me resolve it. And today, I think that living both of these directions at the same time is possible. I don't think it's a contradiction. And there's some interesting common ground in this apparent dichotomy where maybe we're actually talking about the same thing. So I approached the good people at Cole Park, um, an independent organizer of TEDx events, and they thought it would be a good concept for a studio talk, so a TEDx talk from the comfort of my studio. The talk that follows is that talk. It's a shorter format than most TED Talks, so it runs about half of what a full talk runs like. It's, it's only 10 minutes. And it's a pretty fun philosophical topic, at least to me. And I hope you'll all enjoy it. And for anyone interested in the quotes or references to the studies that I refer to in the talk, I've prepared a little PDF that I can send you if you sign up to my Gorilla Wisdom Substack. Uh, the link can be found in the description of this episode and on my website at fredpinto.com. This is Losing Yourself to Find Yourself. Why do people read books? Some people read to relax. Some people read for entertainment. But when I started reading seriously, that was definitely not the case for me. I remember my passion for reading coming right after I'd graduated high school at a time when I felt very confused about life. And so I started reading everything I can get my hands on, philosophy, religion, literature, all with the clear goal of finding answers to the question, how should I live my life? But after a few months of doing this, I realized that not only was I not finding any clear, definitive answers, but that the more I read, the more confused I got. And the reason was that no matter how much I read, I kept going back to two big ideas about life that I found really compelling. My problem was that they were in total contradiction with one another. The first was from the Dalai Lama, and his idea was to lose your attachments. The second noble truth of Buddhism says that attachment is the root of all suffering. And this made a lot of sense to me. Life can be an emotional roller coaster, most of the time because we're too attached to too many things. Cravings, expectations, desires, wants, and needs. Every time we get attached to something, the possibility of suffering is right there along with it. The Dalai Lama was right, I felt. If only I could lose my attachments and learn to be more content and peaceful like those monks on the mountaintops, how much happier would I be? The problem was that there was another idea which seemed to me just as powerful, which totally contradicted this. And it was best put into words by Charles Bukowski, the drunken writer who'd get into wild adventures and write this amazing literature about them. And he says, find what you love and let it kill you. You know, we may have attachments, but it's also true that we go through life uninspired and disengaged sometimes. 
We have all this energy, and often we just don't know how or where we should channel it. To find something I was truly, genuinely passionate about, to the point of actually being willing to sacrifice for it, let alone die for it, if only. If only I could be more authentically passionate and find a purpose, a direction for all this energy, like Bukowski did with literature, how much happier would I be? So lose your attachments and live with passion. But if we lose our attachments, aren't we also losing our passions? And if we live passionately, aren't we also attached, clinging to that passion, just signing up to more suffering down the line? As I said, I was confused. And no amount of reading that I do on top of this would help because I just keep coming back to this fundamental contradiction over and over and over. Now, when we have a big question, it's really tempting to reach out for one big answer to just come in and plug it shut. But questions and answers aren't always neatly matched like this. Sometimes the issue is with language. Sometimes it's an underlying tension or a deeper misunderstanding. Things can get really messy really quickly when it comes to these bigger questions. And so more often, it's more productive, I find, to start by settling for much smaller, more imperfect, indirect clues. A big question is almost like a moving puzzle in 3D. And over time, little clues can start accumulating and slowly start delineating an answer. Sometimes, instead of being answered, the question gets disentangled altogether. In my case, I had to wait almost 20 years for three smaller clues to resolve this tension for me, this apparent contradiction between wanting a more calm and inner peace on one hand and wanting more genuine passion and engagement on the other. The first clue came from Stoic philosophy, and it's what Stoics call the dichotomy of control. It's a simple insight from Epictetus, who writes that happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. Some things are within your control, and some things are not. Now, this sounds very simple, but it's often really hard to apply in real life. How often do we pour energy into and stress about things we don't really control? The stock market, inflation, wars, what other people think of us, you name it, and we stress about it. Simply removing or detaching ourselves from those things can really improve our state of mind. And in a big, changing, complex world, there are bound to be more things we don't control than things that we do. And so the first clue came in and created a kind of a bias for the acceptance, the detachment that the Stoics and Buddhists write about. The second clue came from the lesser-known field of wisdom studies. It comes from the work of a late, great scholar at USC, James Biren, one of the founders of the field of gerontology, who spent decades systematically studying what creates quality of life through this quality that all cultures call wisdom. Biren taught that wisdom is almost like a dial that's ultimately about knowing when you should overcome or transcend a limitation and when you should simply accept a limitation. So this takes the idea of the Stoics, the idea of the dialectic, dialectic of control, and makes it a little bit more dynamic. Just because you don't control something today doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to control it tomorrow. If you can actually improve something, something you genuinely care about for good reasons, something that can help you or someone else, then there's an opportunity for action and for transcendence of your limitations, even if this comes at great effort. 
But if you really can't improve on something, or if it's not that important to you, then instead, there's an opportunity for acceptance, even to appreciate it for what it is. All of our major decisions in life can be approached using the simple dial, just pausing and asking ourselves, can I or should I strive to improve on this? Should I overcome this? Or is this just something that I have to learn to accept? And we should only act on things that we can or really want to engage with, and only to the degree that it really means something to us. And finally, the third clue came when I looked past the question and at the underlying state of the confusion, at the emotions I was feeling when experiencing this contradiction. Big existential questions aren't just purely logical problems. They're also tied to emotional states. And in my case, that state was one of self-conscious anxiety. Now, there's a growing body of solid research in psychology showing that anxiety is strongly tied to what researchers call obsessive self-rumination. Simply put, being too self-conscious. People who are extremely anxious and even depressed tend to spend more time thinking about themselves and have a hard time switching their attention to things outside of themselves. This is probably why when they start putting their focus outward on helping others or on a larger mission or purpose in the world, this is often so therapeutic to them. This third clue is really, really big. It suggests that our energy, our passion, our attachments should be directed as much as possible to a purpose or a cause beyond ourselves, like helping someone else, solving a problem, contributing to society in some way. But it also showed that there was an overlap between the lose your attachment idea and the die for your passions idea. And the common element is that we need to lose ourselves before we can find ourselves. When people are passionately engaged in something they really care about, they often report getting lost in the moment. They'll lose track of time, or they'll momentarily lose their sense of self, like people who describe being in a mystical state or in a flow state. And when we really deeply accept something, we withdraw ourselves from a situation that may not need us in the first place. We become more aware of the world as it is, untainted by our desires, our fears, our need to control everything around us. In this case, stress disappears when we let go of this need to control everything. In one case, we lose ourselves to acceptance and even appreciation for the world as it is. In the other, we lose ourselves when we focus our energies on something other than ourselves, on a broader purpose. We can almost see these as two different tools or strategies we can use to deal with the same basic underlying problem. One is an active tool that takes our energy and flows it from ourselves into the world. The other is a passive tool that directs our energy inward and allows us to find peace and appreciation. In both cases, the problem they solve is holding onto our ego consciousness and making everything about ourselves. In the end, there wasn't a contradiction, but rather two different angles to tackling the same problem. Deep down, I find joy and also a little bit of humor in the idea that the Dalai Lama and Bukowski didn't really disagree. I think that deep down, they both knew that to develop a healthy sense of self, calibrated to the world in an authentic and realistic way, we had to first lose the needy, clutchy, delusional, and overly self-conscious versions of ourselves first. In other words, we have to lose ourselves before we can find ourselves, and there's no contradiction in that.